Welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. We're so happy to be with you again this week. Uh, to be fair, Francis and I come to you today with uh, perhaps heavy hearts. Yes. Um, there are so many difficult things going on in our country as we begin this broadcast today uh, here in studio. I don't know when um, each of our listeners, of course, will have the opportunity to listen to it, Francis, but... Uh, it's clear that the message that Carmel has for the world and has always had for the world of the need for contemplation, the need for an intimate relationship with our Lord is a critical part of the healing that needs to occur in our country. Uh, and we won't get there, of course, without prayer. And I know you've been a great teacher of prayer, a great advocate of prayer. Uh, I, I uh, would value your reflection on uh, the meaning of of the contemplative experience for um, the problems that, adri- that 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 face our society today. Well, as we have a deeper union with Christ, our perspective, our eyes are opened, our ears are opened, our heart is opened, so that Christ may radiate through us. So it's so important for us to pray because um, it is in prayer that we are formed. Um, that was brought out at our recent OCDS meeting for the secular Carmelites, and I I pondered that statement quite a bit. It is in prayer that we are formed. And Mark and I have been doing this series. Today will be the third of three. We should finish this topic up today where we're talking about contemplative prayer, especially the transition into the infused gift of contemplative prayer. Um, And so... Uh, we want to invite you to really search your hearts and, and, and pray deeply and try all that you are able to do to grow your relationship with the Lord, to grow in prayer. And then as you come to this transition phrase, to let the Lord take over. Because when we're at this transition point, we're helpless and yet confident. And that's how I feel about our nation today, Mark. I feel helpless in the sense of what's happening in the world. And yet I am confident that God the Father is with us. He's watching over us. And he will make good of all of this. But we need to turn to prayer. And so, Mark, um, we were praying, as we always do, before uh, coming on the air. And, um, you know, we always start with an opening prayer. And, and you prayed such a beautiful prayer for, for us and for our listeners before coming on the air. So I'd like to invite you, Mark, to do our opening prayer for this segment, this third segment on infused contemplative prayer, which was under the title, The Grace of Contemplative Prayer. All right, I'd ask uh, our listening audience, please bow your heads and let's seek God's mercy. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we beg you today to pour out your mercy and your grace, most especially upon the nation of America, the nation of France, and all the world. For we know, Lord, that what confronts us is nothing other than the darkness hidden in the human heart. Our enemies are not our brothers and sisters or those of a different political persuasion, religious persuasion, or culture, but it is the darkness inherent in the human experience. And so we ask, Lord, that you would pour out grace upon all of us, that we might see the beauty in our existence, that we might value the life we've been given, 
in the interaction that we have with all of our neighbors. For we know, Lord, that it is only through the contemplative encounter with you that we can find healing for ourselves. And it is only in sharing the grace, the mercy, and the love that comes to us through this contemplative encounter with you that we can reach out and be the healing balm for our world. And so today, Lord, in a special way, in a powerful way, we ask for that grace. We ask for that encounter. We ask for the tearing of the veil that we might see you, that we might know peace and consolation in our own heart, and that we might be an expression of the kingdom of God in our world. We ask all this in Jesus' most holy and precious name, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark. That was um, really uh, very beautiful. Um, In the last two programs, uh, we talked about grace. We talked about what's prayer, uh, what is the word um, contemplation, what does that mean. Uh, We talked about how we experience an acquired contemplative prayer, what we do. We talked about the prayer of recollection of St. Teresa of Avila. Today, we're going to be really focusing on the gift of infused contemplation. But I want us to keep in mind the natural progression of prayer from vocal prayer to discursive mental prayer or meditation to a more effective emotion, um, emotional prayer to the prayer of recollection or a simpler prayer, then to a more passive, quiet prayer, and then opening ourselves to encounter the Lord in um, a supernatural degree of prayer. Um, so it leads to this one question why must our natural activities, all this thinking about God, this intellective, intellectual work, this discursiveness, this imagination, even the heart, why must all these activities cease in order for contemplation to replace them? Well, ultimately, despite our best efforts, Francis, you know that um, we taint that encounter with God through our limitations, our inherent limitations, intellectual, emotional, um, th- those that are resident in the memory and the imagination. Uh, we've all experienced woundedness. We've all um, experienced great joy in our life. At times we want to recapture that or re-experience uh, that. And so by virtue of that, we somewhat, not intentionally, but nonetheless, taint this encounter with the living God who will always be beyond our ability to fully comprehend him. He's much deeper, um, broader, uh, more glorious than we can imagine. And so any effort um, that attempts to define him or to define the relationship that he wishes to have with us on our part um, would in some way diminish that. And so uh, our intellect, as we know, must be overcome by the, the um, virtue of faith. Um, our memory must be overcome um, by hope. And, of course, our will, our human will, that which drives our behavior, must be centered in love. It must be overcome. And I don't mean overcome. That's perhaps a bad choice of words. It must be perfected. It must be perfected by love. And all of the attempts that have gotten us here. They were admirable uh, to get us to this path. The use of the imagination, the use of meditation, the use of the intellect, all of those now must be sort of left to the side, if you will. And um, we must go forward in uh, total uh, faith and reliance, confidence that God will now take over 
and do the work on his own that he wants to do within us. And we know that this infused contemplation is a new and transcendent way of experience, experiencing God. Um, and it's contrary to our natural way of knowing. And we know two contraries cannot exist in one subject at the same time. St. John of the Cross tells us that. St. John of the Cross tells us by not turning back in the embrace of something sensible, the soul goes forward to the inaccessible, which is God. You know, just keeping with that theme about uh, the stripping away and uh, leaving ourselves disposed, I think it's a term you used last week or the week before, um, a good analogy to this would be the launching of a rocket. You know, imagine we're launching our soul into uh, the space of prayer and we're, we're using uh, what they call the booster stages, early stages, which lift you off the ground. We could think of that as vocal prayer. Uh, something propels us through the atmosphere. These are the various stages. And, of course, once the rocket burns out, that, that stage of it burns out, it's dispensed with. Ultimately, we're cast into an orbit that we um, don't in any way directly control in this regard. In other words, there's no more booster rocket that will uh, keep us in that atmosphere, but rather the the um, power of grace and, and uh, the, the Lord's infused contemplation now takes over and sets us into an orbit. Uh, of course, rockets can Heavenly. control their maneuverability, <laughs> but in this context, we've really dispensed with all of the boosters that have gotten us here, and now we leave ourselves at the disposal of the Lord to do what work he wants to do, having us in that orbit. Uh, but we're in good hands. We're in, we're in God's hands. And, of course, I want us to remember the Psalm 46, verse 11, Be still and know that I am God. That scripture really reverberates through this stage um, and is kind of where we should end up at in this stillness, in this knowingness of God. So, now I want to just talk about some attitudes that we can take that are applicable to this transition period, which is also the um, passive night of the sense. So there are several norms of conduct suggested by St. John of the Cross, and we have several points that I just want to bring up. And then I want to get in to some other metaphors, uh, like your rocket one, some other metaphors that might help you to understand what this transition from an active prayer to a passive prayer um, uh, to this supernatural degree of prayer is like. So um, the norms of conduct, attitudes to be taken. Well, the first I would say is freedom, freedom and detachment from discursive meditation, discursive meditation, using the mind, actively engaging the intellect, uh, the imagination, uh, creating images. This is no doubt um, some. Uh, these include some of the techniques that we would have used in the early stages of our prayer to ground us in faith, to enhance our faith, to give us uh, something to hold on to. It's a way that the Lord teaches us, but we have to move beyond it at this stage. Second, I would say patient perseverance in prayer. Indeed. There are going to be those times when we simply don't want to go pray, where uh, we feel like we're not getting anything out of it. Um, we're wasting time. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big complaint, it feels like, anyway. And, and the two words stand alone. Patience, yes, because maybe nothing's happening for a period of time. Perseverance, we need to keep going back. Don't allow yourself to be discouraged, as Francis has explained a number of times. This is a transitional stage, and there will be 
uh, a destabilization. But we have to persevere through this stage. We shouldn't shriek back in, in lack of courage and say, oh, my prayer life has just gone awry. Or uh, conversely, we should not try to make something happen, right, Francis? Right. We don't want to try to create the thing that maybe you're hearing us talk about now, this infused contemplation, this intimate encounter. Don't try to make it happen. You can't. You can't, And you'll right. only frustrate yourself in an effort to do and so. And then you need fortitude to undergo this trial, this destabilization, this unfamiliar way. This is the way of the nada, Nothing, nothing, nothing. It's a way of unknowing. Um, and so as the transition is occurring, we will not probably even recognize that it is happening. But as we stick to it and we um, trust in the Lord, surrendering to the Lord, then this will become more and more, um, oh, uh, more and more, um, I don't know. Easy to recognize? No, I can't say that. Um, more and more evident. Um, and, uh, so. We'll become more, uh, uh, relaxed to it, accepting of it. Um, I don't want to say comfortable. I know we're both avoiding that word. It's not necessarily a comfortable phase, but, but our confidence will grow. A deep interior confidence. This is an interior experience. So it won't be the peripherals that we have been guided by up to this point, but it'll be much more an internal awareness that, Yes, this is okay. It's okay what I'm going through yeah. right now. This is where I like to think of dark rays of contemplation. You know, uh, it, it's not going to be like you're feeling these consolations. No, 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 not that. Uh, dark rays that, you know, it, it's like you're, you're getting a suntan, but you don't see that you're getting the tan, <laughs> right? Um, the other attitude, we got a few more here, is the attitude of loving and peaceful attentiveness to God. You know, it's just like if if you're in a marriage and you're looking at your spouse and you're um, sitting in the living room together and um, you, you've been around each other for years and years. And, you know, sometimes just a look says a lot, right? You don't need to be speaking to be communicating. And so this attitude of loving and peaceful attentiveness to God is very important here. You know, that reminds me of a story. I, I remember the great Catholic author Graham Greene telling uh, he had a gentleman um, whose name I frankly don't remember. But um, at this stage of his life, late in Graham Greene's life, this gentleman was one of his best friends. And they had spent many, many, many years together and, and knew each other quite well. And he relates that one afternoon... Um, he was sitting with this gentleman and that gentleman's son, and they sat for an hour looking at the the waves rolling in off the coast and didn't say a word to each other. And at some point, the gentleman um, in the story got up and he walked away, went back into the villa or the hotel, wherever they were staying. And Graham Greene turns to the right to the gentleman's son and says, you know, your father is one of the greatest conversationalists I've ever encountered. <laughs> <laughs> and it was sufficient that both of these writers, the gentleman was a writer, uh, were there with each other and, and, you know, sort of in the moment. And, and there was communication going on, despite the fact that there were no words uttered. It's somewhat like that. Right. We do need to be ready to use meditation when it may be necessary because in this transition point, there may be times of this infused contemplative prayer, but there may also be some of the natural active prayer going. So it is when you feel yourself pulled into the silence, pulled into the quiet that you respond. And they may be just for short periods, maybe a minute or two or, or maybe five and, and, 
it, it will grow. Uh, so you, you pray as you can, not as you can't. That's important here. Um, you also have to have, be ready to give up, give up this loving attentiveness when, when you are, uh, it might be just where you're at that day. Uh, you might be having a lot of bodily pain that, that, uh, prevents you or, um, you may be, uh, attached to something and it's getting in the way. So, uh, we pray as we can again. And very, very important, trusting in God's solicitude, trusting that God is leading you. And he wants to draw you deeper into this prayer because it draws you closer to his heart, which is where he wants us. So we have to work with him. So, you know, be looking at how God is working in your soul. And then the final one is the theological attitude. um, And that is, you know, with the faith, hope and love. Yeah, and realizing that in this context, we're dealing now with the eternal, right? So much of our prayer, and it's quite natural, we should not be discouraged by this statement, but so much of our prayer is directed to the here, the now, the practical, the real events of our daily life. This is where we begin prayer. Uh, But at some point, prayer must be raised above that, as we've described, uh, both our attitude, our mind, and so on and so forth. That's what Francis means by the theological attitude. We're being elevated now to something that is eternal, and we'll have that sense that we're entering the eternal. Um, we'll, we'll have a knowing and awareness um, that all of what we experience as human beings uh, somehow begins to make sense to us, even though much of the circumstances of our daily life may still not make sense and, and not find reconciliation. Uh, but here we will. So John Cross's point in these kinds of attitudes is that we need to know how to practice abandonment to God's guidance when he wants to advance them. So now I want to turn to uh, Father James W. Ken's book, The Practice of Contemplation According to John the Cross. It's an ICS publication, and I highly recommend it. Um, we have been referring to this several times through this series, series, and we want to speak about some of the metaphors that help us be receptive. Um, the first metaphor is... Uh, that of rainwater. Um, there's nothing we can do to water our garden. And so we cannot bring up buckets of meditation anymore. So we have no control over the rainwater that comes from God's infused contemplation. We must be receptive. We need a new way of breathing in this rarefied air, only the pure oxygen of God. So as you're in this prayerful, attentive, loving state with the Lord, thinking of breathing in this pure oxygen of God to sustain us in this higher altitude of contemplative prayer. Uh, Another um, metaphor would be um, we're beyond our ability to swim anymore. Uh, My my son is uh, on a national team swimming, and so I can relate to this swimming uh, very much. All we can do now is just float in the water and wait for God to carry us along. You know, floating, um, it demands much skill, but because it demands much letting go. And the secret of floating, of course, is um, not learning to do all the things we instinctively want to do. You need to rest on the water as like it's a pillow um, and, you know, uh, relax 
uh, to become a floater instead of a swimmer. And this is a this sense that here when we float in the Lord, we need to trust him enough to relax and surrender to this dark water. And we've got to believe that our floating is not directionless, but that the Holy Spirit is leading us. So we just got to persuade ourselves, you know, put your head back, breathe slowly, and let yourself drift along. Uh, I think of a lot of people who go tubing on the rivers, and sometimes you're on a rapids, <laughs> rough. But here we're talking about smooth sailing. Um, and uh, anyway, but this is a very um, passive and a very relaxed, trusting um uh, sense. Uh, another metaphor would be um, all of our efforts cannot open the door to this new experience. All we can do is remove the obstacles of our mental images and rational thoughts. So um, getting rid of that and, you know, wanting to be open. Uh, clear like like a window so that it's pure and then a final analogy would be god is the sun ever shining he will certainly shine in our soul once it is empty of the clutter of sensible images and natural reasoning so these same metaphors may help us to be patient when we come to this passive form of prayer where we need to be content to be peaceful and attentive, that's very important, attentive in God's presence. Yeah, some of our listeners might be wondering now, Francis, well, so why am I going through all this? You've talked about some of the difficulties, some of the uh, predisposition that we must have, the, the acceptance and the receptivity, but what's the motivation? Why am I willing to put myself through this? What is it going to bring about? Well, the last uh, bit of uh, advice that uh, Father Kim gave there uh, talked about having to remove all of the clutter. Why? St. John of the Cross tells us that contemplation is nothing else than a secret, peaceful, loving inflow of God, which, if not hampered, hampered by all that clutter, fires the soul in the spirit of love. I'm going to ask That's you to read why. Yeah, I'm going to ask you to read that again. I, okay. I, we want to repeat this so that we really get an understanding of this. Yeah, and, and again, just prefacing it, this is why we pray. This is why we look for that encounter with the living God. This is the whole, uh, if you will, uh, centerpiece uh, of the human experience. It is for us to be transformed literally into the image of the one that we were created for, and that is love. God is love, and we as his creatures desire to be transformed into the very being uh, who created us, and that's nothing short of love. So contemplation, um, disposing ourselves for this transformation, uh, transfiguration uh, into love is exactly what contemplation is leading to. And so John of the Cross again tells us contemplation is nothing else than a secret, peaceful, and loving inflow of God, which, if not hampered, fires the soul in the spirit of love. That is the reason for human existence. There's nothing short of that. And so this is when I say, when we're talking about theological aspects or eternal aspects, this is above and beyond all of what may have brought us to this stage of prayer. It is no longer about uh, the limitations that we inevitably uh, bring to our prayer experience. It is about allowing God to do his work fully and completely within us. And that requires that everything else be 
removed from that encounter. Well, St. Teresa of Avila describes this stage of infused contemplative prayer in this way. And this is from the Way of Perfection, uh, chapter 31, verse 2. This prayer is something supernatural, something we cannot procure through our own efforts. In it, the soul enters into peace, or better, the Lord puts it at peace by his presence, so that all the faculties are calmed. The soul understands in another way, very foreign to the way it understands through the exterior senses, that it is now close to its God, and that not much more would be required for it to become one with him in union. If furthermore, uh, contemplation, this infused supernatural experiential meaning, um, is an experience, a loving knowledge of God and God's world accompanied by peace, joy, even in the midst of darkness. Contemplation is this inflow of God. It's his light, it's his life, it's his warmth and his love into the soul. It is not about knowledge or facts. It's not about understanding or analysis. Uh, it is instead silent. It's quiet, restful, peaceful, passive, intuitive, and I mean spiritually intuitive, but also very secure. Once we enter into this experience, and in fairness, we should say, Francis, these are fairly limited moments of time, right? It's not a continuous state, at least not for many souls. Um, But once entering into it, the soul would know that it has had this encounter with the living God without the benefit of words or, uh, you know, sort of a, a human affirmation. It is an deep interior knowing of that experience. Well, we're going to pick up on this theme and continue a little bit about the explanation and, again, uh, some of the characteristics of this gift of contemplation. It is truly a gift, not acquired. When we return, a reminder, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be right back. Salve Regina.
Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria. We're continuing this third part of a three-part series on contemplative prayer. It is, of course, the centerpiece of the Carmelite charism. The title, actually, is The Grace of Contemplative Prayer. Uh, all prayer is a grace, and in this case, of course, we're talking about the gift of contemplation, infused contemplation, uh, that which only God can do for us. Uh, and through us, we have had to dispose ourselves to get ourselves uh, to a state where uh, God is um, able to take that action with us. But at this point, really, we have to simply allow God to take over. Um, he works with souls that are uh, courageous, that are patient, that persevere, uh, and that genuinely have a desire for this encounter and experience of him, and it comes in varying degrees. Um, but our work has largely been completed at this point. We're well beyond the early stages of meditation, vocal prayer, um, even early um, uh, stages of contemplation, which we can do, the prayer of quiet and so forth, prayer of uh, recollection. simplicity, recollection. Um, now we are at that stage where we simply wait uh, for God to take over. And uh, I concluded my last statement with, um, once experiencing this, once encountering God in this way, we will know, the soul will know that it has had a unique encounter, a unique experience with God. Right. That is the um, major indicator. You know you have had an experience of God within the depths of your soul. The contemplative soul knows God. And this always reminds me of the uh, secular order discuss Carmelite's motto, to know God so that he, he may be known, to love God so that he may be loved. This is an intimate knowing. It's a marital spousal type of knowing. It is a knowing God deeper than the intellect, will, or external senses. It is knowing God at the core of our being. This contemplation is a mysterious, infused knowledge. It's a sacredness of intimacy. It's a purity and enlightenment of the interior self in and through God. Contemplation is a spiritual knowledge, infused, communicated spirit to spirit. And St. John the Cross teaches us again, I want to bring this up, this spiritual law that two contraries cannot exist in this same space. Hence, the need for purity of one's heart and soul, for only the pure in heart shall see God. You know, we can gaze at the ocean and experience a deep sense of wonder, but it's quite another thing if you're submerged in the water. Now, infused contemplation is when God submerges the soul in himself, in this ocean of divine mercy. We no longer gaze at God from without, but we experience him in union within. So that leads us to several general characteristics of the gift of contemplation. And I pulled this list from Father Jordan Amman, Characteristics of Infused Contemplation. Um, and I thought that maybe we would just list a few of these to help people understand uh, these general characteristics. Yeah, and they're consistent with the words that St. John of the Cross uses, at least in many cases. Uh, for example, the first one, interior attitude of receptivity or passivity, words we've used before, towards the divine presence. It is God who in this state is the agent. The soul is simply the receiver. We're reiterating this important aspect of it that we now must be in a condition of receptivity waiting for the Lord to do this work. But this receptivity, this passivity, in and of itself can be challenging for us. And so 
we need to deepen our readiness, our willingness to allow God to do this work. Another characteristic of this gift of infused contemplation is love and knowledge are combined now. It's a loving knowledge. And John of the Cross says in Living Flame of Love, God is the giver and the one who works in the soul by according spiritual goods in contemplation, which is knowledge and love together, that is loving knowledge. So God is giving this love and knowledge infused together. Next, the the phrase is detachment and silence. We know it's impossible for this highest wisdom, the language of God, if you will, uh, which is contemplation, to be received in anything less than a spirit that is silent, that is detached from discursive knowledge and gratification. This is what we mentioned earlier when we said we've sort of got to clear the room out. There's no room in here for anything other than what is God. Everything that is not God must be removed. And uh, this detachment and silence is a critical aspect of that. Um, the fourth characteristic would be simplicity and idleness. It's in this way that a loving knowledge of God is infused by God himself, although we more often than not do not experience his action in us directly. Uh, fifth, I would say hidden, delicate, and secret loving. Now, Francis just mentioned this idea that love and knowledge are fused here. We're beyond, we've elevated um, our, our uh, intellect in faith, and we've elevated our will in charity. They're fused here, and also they are hidden and delicate. Delicate means this stillness, this simplicity, this idleness was the phrase that Francis just used. It seems uh, contradictory to so much in modern society to be idle, seems to us to be unproductive. But in this case, it isn't. It is disposing ourselves for God to both hide himself within us, this delicate touch of secret loving knowledge. And we're secretly filled with these spiritual riches and gifts and graces. And the fruits of that will show in your life. And you'll you'll all of a sudden be able to do something or handle a situation with better virtue than you had before. And then you're like, oh, you know, it Where'd must be from? the Lord <laughs> because I know me. <laughs> um, another final characteristic here is a welling up from within of a direct experience or awareness of God's presence, of what John of the Cross calls a simple, delicate, loving knowledge of God. God is present in the giving of divine love, divine blessing or favor, grace, and divine sublimity, beauty, and peace. You know, this gift of God himself to the soul, it's not noisy. (laughs) It's profoundly silent and peaceful, sort of like that 30 minutes of silence in heaven in the book of Revelation. And I just keep thinking that that is the sense of when you are awed by something, you're speechless, right? And that sense of this profound, filled silence. It's like the gentle breeze or quiet whisper that St. Elijah heard on Mount Horeb in standing at the entrance of the cave. Yeah, and Father Bonaventure Sauer, a discalced Carmelite friar, Uh, uses this phrase, contemplation has about it something of that self-forgetfulness that can befall us whenever we are listening intently to music, for example, or find ourselves getting caught up in reading a good book. Moreover, he goes on, this contemplative state generally doesn't last very long. 
uh, how will we know we're in it? Some of the manifestations of it. You know, we, we've talked about a loving experience. It's very delicate. It's very gentle. It is not overwhelming. God's not going to push you back into a chair and say, no, this is it. It's going to come from within, not from without. That's the first um, um, affirmation, if you will. Um, it is oftentimes accompanied by tears, uh, tears of great joy, but nonetheless, um, sort of a realization that we're encountering something that is beyond the human experience. Uh, and this loving presence and affirmation of the existence of a loving God leads us to this self-forgetfulness. We become focused on the other. We might even find ourselves wondering, where have I had my uh, priorities up to this point? St. Augustine says uh, this very thing about his encounter with God. You know, what was I doing before I realized um, your existence? I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but um, these are some of the manifestations of the experience itself. And maybe even a sense of loss time. You're not aware that so much time has passed um, because it is so peaceful and so joyful. Well, this leads us to the four stages of infused contemplative prayer. This first stage, of course, is the infused recollection leading to the prayer of quiet. And Teresa Vavla brings up the prayer of quiet, or some may call it supernatural recollection. That would be the first like official stage of this infused contemplative prayer when the action of God's not strong enough to prevent distractions. So you may be still having distractions going on and the imagination still retains a certain liberty. But this uh, deepens over time into this next degree of infused contemplative prayer, which is simple union. When the strength of divine action keeps the person fully occupied, um, but the senses continue to act so that by making an effort, the person can cease from prayer when they want. And then that leads into the ecstatic uh, union or ecstasy when the senses are cut off and you are not free to be moving about at your own will. Uh, you are so caught up in the Lord. And that leads to the final degree uh, that Teresa Vavla talks about in her interior castle, and that is the transforming union or spiritual marriage of the soul with God. Now I'd like us to get into the effects or fruits of this gift of infused contemplative prayer. Yeah, this is um, um, important because, as Francis said a moment ago, you, you want some affirmation that, in fact, you've had the encounter. We said, you'll know, it'll be something beyond the human experience, and you'll certainly know uh, that there's been this encounter with God. At the same time, um, because the centerpiece of it is love, we want to look for some a fruit, some effect of that encounter. And, uh, uh, of course, we want to continue to seek that, not for ourselves, but but for the Lord and for others. And it helps reshape how we think about and understand and respond to others with greater charity. This, this experience helps us to rethink about our relation with our neighbors, with a brother, a sister, a parent, uh, someone we may have uh, had difficulty with in the past. It begins to reshape that relationship in a very positive way. It's transformative. Transformative is kind of an open word. We leave it that way because for every individual, it'll be unique. Um, all of us have things that need to be transformed within our spirit, whatever it might be. Predispositions, maybe moments of anger, lack of patience, fear, uh, lack of confidence. We will find these things as a result of this encounter um, enhanced, made better, uh, minimized if they are a negative in and of themselves will be minimized. But the point is for each of us individually, the Lord will do the work that needs to be done to transform us. Another fruit, of course, would be we would lead more contemplative lives. Uh, 
Um, we would also have learned to listen more deeply, more attentively, so that the one who is listened to feels more valued. Um, we uh, see that we have more life-giving and enriching experiences because now the soul's priorities are aligned with God as number one. Um, there is a sense of healing. Our sacramental life becomes more fruitful, more alive, more intense. The Mass takes on a deeper, more potent meaning. We have a profound and inward reassurance of the reality of the living God that accentuates our faith. You know, just quickly back on that contemplative life and, and a deep uh, desire, if you will, to live the contemplative life. One of the manifestations of it might be something like this. We find ourselves with time in our day with nothing particularly demanding our attention, and we might say to ourselves, well, gee, what, what should I do? I have this time on my hands. And immediately the thought will come to our mind, well, this would be a good time to pray. pray yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't I take these moments and pray? You know, maybe yeah. you've got 30 minutes in the day with nothing demanding, nothing calling on us, and we will right away have this predisposition, not to another cup of coffee or a program or a bit of music, but to be intimate with the Lord. And of course, these moments of prayer lead into a life of prayer when you're living his presence throughout. Uh, There's also great growth in the virtues, awareness of the vanity of all things, the passing of all things, growth in mortification and detachment. That's a very powerful one, this idea about the vanity of all things. Of course, that's directly from Scripture. Uh, And we know then that as we begin to experience this, we look about our world and we will begin to see the smallness of so much of what has previously drawn our attention. And, uh, you know, many cases may have been uh, of great importance to us. We will begin to see uh, both the passing nature of everything in this world, everything that we've experienced in our life, uh, but those things that have so often drawn our interest away from God uh, will, in fact, now uh, be viewed in the context of the eternal, and, and they will reveal themselves for just how small they are. Of course, we also have great growth in the gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit, growth in longing for and yearning for and hunger for God. Those are great contemplative words of a Carmelite, longing, yearning, hungering for God. We would do well, too, by the way, Francis, I think, to reflect on the gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit from Scripture. Those are largely in Paul's writings. Um, I would encourage our, our listeners, and when you're looking for what what... Uh, specifically what I expect to uh, see as a consequence of this, and we're outlining some of that, but I would I would encourage prayer, uh, meditation on the gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit to sort of ground them in our nature, one, so that we know when we can see in ourselves where we're making progress, but also just reflecting on them will draw our attention to them more, and we're uh, more likely then to respond with uh, these gifts and fruits in the circumstances of our life. Um, two other great fruits would be um, an intimate love, where the barriers between the soul and God dissolve. All now is seen through God, and there is a m- much greater sense of death to self and l- true life in God and a bearing witness to God to others. In infused contemplation, we are purified, we're illumined, and we're united to God in love. Well, you know, I want you to read this next quote because I think it speaks to exactly how we open the conversation today. And I, I um, 
I do think this is a very serious topic for us to be dealing with right now because of the circumstances that we find ourselves in in the world. And I think Carmelites in a very special way, and I don't mean to diminish those who may not be Carmelites, but uh, Carmelites in a very special way, Mary has made clear to us, uh, she relies on uh, the uh, contemplative charism that we in Carmel um, uh, hold so dearly uh, to help transform the world. And Father um, William Johnston's a quote here, Francis, which I'm going to have you read, speaks directly to the importance of the role that we contemplatives, uh, that we behind the doors prayers, if you will, uh, have in terms of changing and, and affecting the, the world outside us. Father William Johnston said, properly understood, contemplation shakes the universe topples the powers of evil, builds a great society, and opens the doors that lead to eternal life. You know, we're so predisposed to action. What can I do? We see tragedy in the world, and we should respond to it. We should, um, you know, take up the mantle of apostolic missions as well. But we can never forget, minimize, or I would argue, uh, put in a second place the role of contemplation. Because when we have this encounter, when we purify ourselves, when when we bring love into the world, that is bringing Jesus into the world, and he can accomplish so much more in such a, a shorter period of time uh, than all of the works of social justice and, and um, um, charity that we can do. That's not to say we, we shouldn't do them. We are his arms, his legs, his feet, his eyes. But we must begin with contemplation, and we must end with contemplation at all times. Right, because works come as a result of prayer. Good prayers first. <laughs> well, that leads to this famous quote of St. John of the Cross. Seek by reading, and you will find by meditating. Knock by praying, and it will be open to you in contemplation. So this is the understanding that we asked for at the beginning in our prayer, the wisdom, the knowledge, the seeing, the being able to put our life in context. Finding order, even in the chaos of our life, comes to us ultimately through contemplation. All of the meditation, all the praying, all the reading that we will do is preparatory, is important, it's necessary, it's the foundation, but it will be revealed to us, it will be opened, as St. John of the Cross says, in contemplation. You know, the Trappist monk, um, Father Thomas Merton wrote, the aim of contemplative life is not to teach a person to say prayers, but to live in God. So the aim is to let Christ live in you and through you. And that I want to piggyback with Mother Teresa of Calcutta's uh, way of defining this. She says, seeking the face of God in everything, everyone, all the time, and his hand in every happening. This is what it means to be contemplatives in the heart of the world. Seeing and adoring the presence of Jesus, especially in the lowly, lowly appearance of bread and in the distressing disguise of the poor. She has a way of making things so practical and down to earth. I, I mean, it. our deep I, theology, yeah. all of our profound, <laughs> you know, uh, analysis and so on and so forth. And Mother Teresa of Calcutta comes in and just puts it uh, right into the heart of everyday life and into the heart of uh, uh, our experience and what it is we are called to. You know, I wanted to share, I had an experience myself over the, the weekend. Francis, I had visited somebody who was in a long-term rehabilitation uh, facility. So this is a facility where uh, folks who w will not be able to be cared for by family members anymore would have to take up residence or those who may be in long-term 
rehabilitation from illness or injury. Uh, and this one in particular was um, uh, for uh, folks who are on the the outer fringes of the economic spectrum, if you will, low income or maybe people who couldn't pay for these facilities on their own. It was very eye-opening. I tell you, it affected me in a very powerful way. And I, I'm relating now Mother Teresa of Calcutta's uh, admonition that we find this um, guise of Christ in the dis- uh, disguise of the poor, the distressed in our society. And that's so true. Uh, and so much of what we experience in contemplation, as we said before, has to be brought out into the world. We have to transform our world. And we can do that by our works of charity, our works of um, uh, social justice, and so on, so on and so forth. But it must begin with this contemplation. It must begin with an understanding uh, of what it is that God is is calling on us to do. And we find that uh, most especially through the intimate encounter with him. So what are some practical steps that we can take so as to live a more contemplative life and incorporate daily contemplative prayer or be open to it. You know, we can practice the acquired contemplative prayer, but to be open and receptive to this infused contemplative prayer. So what kind of steps can we take? First of all, we need to have balance in our lives. You know, when's the last time you sat around the table and enjoyed dinner with all of your family or turned your cell phone off and refrained from checking your email every few minutes? <laughs> you know, excessive work and travel, excessive involvement in sports and entertainments, they, they can tear families apart. So we need to have balance. Second, we have to have the capacity to be alone, to be in solitude, uh, to find those moments of quiet where we can be apart from the world. This is a challenge for some people. Some people are now so addicted uh, to the onslaught of noise. I know people who can't walk into a room, Francis, without turning on a television or a radio, and they'll say, well, I need the company. And that's a difficult uh, place to be because in order to encounter this uh, living God, this experience of contemplation, we're going to have to be able to withdraw ourselves from that. So the capacity, literally the capacity to be alone, uh, to be in moments of solitude and in silence is a critical, critical part of this experience. Um, So the solitude brings the exterior quiet, but we also need an interior quiet, and that is silence um, within. This is an emptiness of words and concepts, but it has a fullness of of love. And with that, I would add the recollection of the presence of God, which is simply paying attention to the presence of God within or, you know, resting in the Lord. Uh, we even thinking of the air that we breathe, we would not be alive if we could not breathe this air. So, you know, I often think of, of the breath being, you know, God and that air coming into me, the breath of God coming and keeping me alive. St. Augustine continually wrestled with these two questions. He would say, God, who are you? Or who are you, God? And then, who am I? You know, and he would think about this recollection, this presence of God in relation to uh, he himself and God and, and would continuously meditate on that. Of course, Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection uh, talks to us about the presence of God and we encourage reading um, his work entitled The Presence of God. Fifth, and, and maybe most importantly, deep listening. All of what we've just said getting away from the distractions in our modern world, being alone, uh, finding balance, silence, um, the recollection of the presence of God, lead us to a deep listening. If we want to hear God, we must listen. Discalced Carmelite Friar again, Bonaventure Sauer, 
um, said this, we can't hear if we don't listen, and we can't listen if we're not able to still the exterior and interior noise, and so attend to another. Of course, that's God. Turning ourselves, our minds focus towards him, in the case of natural sounds, to be whatever they may be. To acquire this virtue of listening deeply, receptively, we need to be schooled by the steady application of the twofold healing balm, which are silence and solitude. These balance, silence and solitude, recollection, the presence of God, and listening deeply uh, put into life the, the balance that we're looking for. They are in, them, in themselves a school of prayer, and they dispose us to the reception of the gift of contemplative prayer. Additionally, we have to have order in our lives. We have a God of order. If you look at the universe and, and those pictures that are coming from the Hubble and all the other things out there in space, uh, we have a God of order. We need to work out our daily schedules for the entire family by setting realistic priorities priorities, and minimizing our extracurricular activities uh, for our children, um, you know, uh, early to bed or early to rise is still good. You know, when you're sleep deprived, uh, it shows. I walk around and I see so many adults that look like they could fall asleep any minute. <laughs> we are a sleep deprived nation. When we get good sleep, <laughs> we can function much better. Um, also, we need vigilance in prayer. We talked about this perseverance. We need to stay with it, even if our daily prayer becomes a struggle for us. And finally, and I think this is perhaps the capstone comment. We have to ask for this gift. Yes. We have to desire it. We have to let God know. How do we let him know? By everything that we've been talking about, Francis, for the last hour. But we have to ultimately ask God for this gift. And that re- thinks, that reminds him of that scripture passage from Luke chapter 11, verse 9 through 13. And I tell you, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you would hand his son a snake when he asks for a fish? Or hand him a scorpion when he asks for an egg? If you then, who are wicked, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And that leads us to the Jeremiah scripture that we opened this whole series with. For I know well the plans I have in mind for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare, not for woe. Plans to give you a future full of hope. When you call me, when you go to pray to me, I will listen to you. When you look for me, you will find me. Yes, when you seek me with all your heart. You will find me with you, says the Lord, and I will change your lot. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Great blessings uh, in this series. We encourage you to listen to the previous programs if you haven't already. Uh, Take some time every day for contemplative prayer uh, to seek the living God. And a reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. Until we're with you again next week, God bless.